Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. One of the areas we have the most questions about is the topic of identity. In many ways, it's the central struggle of every human life. At some point, we all ask the question, who am I created to be? We're in a series based on a book by pastor and author Jeff Little that explores this very question. Join us for this six-week series entitled, Who Am I? And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. There you can find all our video messages as well as exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Now, let's get into this week's message. We're in a series called, Who Am I? as you've uh, maybe seen the, the little thing playing right there. And the point of this series is to answer the question who God created us to be instead of all of the voices around us because there are so many voices around us trying to tell us who we should be and what we should be like, right? And so we've looked at some different topics. We started the series with, with who am I when I don't measure up? And then a very similar topic, who am I when I'm compared to others? Last week, we had a great homecoming of one of our staff members, Chris Ellison, came, and I I heard he preached so good, I wasn't really welcome back, but I'm back. (laughs) I'm going to stop inviting good preachers when I'm gone, just so you know. I want to find people that make me look better. But anyway, that's beside the point. Chris was awesome, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he talked about who am I when I'm alone. And uh, today, one of the the best topics, we're going to have the most fun that we could ever have. We're going to talk about who am I when I failed. Yeah, it's going to be deep, but uh, I believe God wants to touch some people here this morning. So uh, as tempted as you are to hear that topic and think, I don't want to uh, really rip off the band-aid of something that God has uh, been helping me with in my life or things that honestly you may not think God's a part of. You may think it's an absolute thing without God because it's such a bad failure. I just want to encourage you, stick through it, stick through it because I think God wants to do some healing here today. So, you know, one of the exciting things about this series is we've got more people in life groups talking about the Who Am I series than we've ever had. And that's exciting because that means that instead of just coming in and letting me talk at you, that you are also getting together in small groups in people's living rooms and Starbucks and wherever, and you're actually having conversations with other people about what, what is God doing in your life? And what does this mean? And so one of the things that we wanted to do from the very beginning was to give everybody one of these Who Am I books. Uh, we bought them in January, and by the time it came February to give them out, we had grown so much we didn't have enough for everybody. So we made the quick decision to only give them out in our life group. So if you have gone to a Who Am I life group, you already have a copy of this, hopefully. And uh, if not, you need to get one. But anyway, uh, so here's what we're going to do. We do have some left over now that we've given them all out in groups, and we're giving them away today. These are free for you. Pick one up on your way out. I am going to tell you they're for you. They're not for you to take three copies for a friend because we don't have that many, and there is another service coming. We want to have some left for them. So uh, take one of these on the way out the door if you don't have one, right? Cool. All right. So speaking of failure, how many of you remember your youngest, or how, how, what is your youngest memory? How many of you, it's like five years old? Anybody's got a five-year-old youngest memory? How about four? Can anybody remember four? Something happened to you at four? Anybody three? Three? All right. You, medically, if you go any further, you're lying. Science tells us, but <laughs> two, two. Anybody actually thinks they remember two? Okay. Um, <laughs> Kent, furthest back, 40. That's as far back as he goes. 
My, my furthest back memory actually includes a failure, but no surprise, I don't remember the failure part of it, right? So that's cool. But it was somewhere around my late threes, early fours. I don't know the exact age, but I had a picture taken when I was four years old that has the evidence of, of this failure. So that's, that's how I know it happened before then. And so what happened, my parents were going out one night, having a night out, and so they left me with my mom's best friend. And, and so I was watching Superman on, on cartoons, and Superman has this big S, and he has a cape, and I had Superman jammies. And I also had a cape, because this was back before, you know, they figured out tying things around children's necks was a bad idea. <laughs> it's kind of surprising my generation even made it this far sometimes, you know? Uh, we didn't have to sit in car seats, we didn't have to wear seat belts, and we could tie things around our necks and jump off the roof of the house. But anyway, I, I'm one of the few, I'm still here. So here's what happened. I, I don't remember everything, because again, I was, I was just three something, but I do remember the room very clearly. I could draw the room for you that I was in. I also remember climbing up on the arm of the couch, and I don't remember what came after that. But what I do know came after that is I failed to fly. And I was wondering to myself this week, as I knew I'd tell this story, because we always ask this question, what was I thinking? Or, you know, you ask someone else, what were they thinking? And I don't really know what a three-year-old was thinking, but here's what I had to have been thinking. I can fly. I mean, come on, that's the only reason that you jump off of a couch when you're three is because you honestly think you can fly. And it makes perfect sense, because at three years old, you have a cape. The guy on the TV has a cape. And at three years old, there's no difference between the guy on the TV and you accept it like he's in a box. But he's real and you're real. And if he's got a cape and you've got a cape and well, the next thing I know, uh, at least they tell me there was an ER visit, there were stitches and it ruined my parents' night out. <laughs> All failures aren't created equal though. We can laugh about that one, can't we? At least now we can. I bet my parents weren't laughing in the moment. But, you know, my mom and her best friend, they got to her 50, and then they were 60, and then they're 70 now. And I bet they can laugh about that event now. And it's, I didn't ever get babysat by that woman again, just so you know. <laughs> but all failures aren't the same. Some of them we can't laugh at. Some of them, honestly, they've, they've hurt a lot, and they've been quite devastating. And, you know, uh, maybe it's a, a broken relationship. Maybe it's something you did in a relationship. Maybe it's a business deal, or maybe it's an attempt at college, or maybe it's a failed marriage. I, there are so many things, if we were to talk about some of the failures that, that some of us are looking at today, well, they're not always going to be things that we can go back and laugh at. But what I think God wants to do today is to heal some of the scars that have been left by failure. You see, if you could see up close, but do, do not, camera people, don't do this because I don't want to scare anybody, but there, there is a scar right here. It's in the shape of an upside down check mark, and it's been there ever since the day that I thought that I could fly. But see, here's the thing. When you believe you can fly, you don't worry about the coffee table that's right in front of the couch because you are going to transcend, even though you don't know that word at three, you're going to transcend the whole room. I mean, you're going across the room. You're going to land over there. There was like a little stair thing or something. And that's where I intended to land. I had no idea that I was going to land at the corner of the coffee table right here. Right? And still to this day, there is a scar right here. 
And for some of us, there's a scar in our soul because of what we've experienced. And so today I wanna do, do two things. Number one is I hope that we're going to learn how to respond to failure because, well, we're all gonna have it. We've all already had it. And, and more importantly, I really think that God wants to do some healing here today. So once again, this is my plea to you. Some of you are gonna say, this is a very painful subject for me, Jimmy. I, I just wanna pretend, uh, right now I'm gonna pretend to go get coffee and I'm not coming back. Please, please, please don't do that because I think God wants to touch you today. And so if you've got your Bibles, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what I think is, is probably the most epic failure in Scripture. And, and there's quite a few that we could choose from, but there's a reason that I think this one is most epic, as you'll see in a moment. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. You can turn with me, but if not, don't worry, it's going to be all on the screen right here beside you. And uh, let me set the back story for you. This is uh, Jesus talking to Peter. And here's what you need to know about Peter. Jesus had crowds. Matter of fact, when I look around and we're crowded and we're having to move to three services because we're so crowded, I get excited. And I don't apologize for that because I, I did a study one time in the Bible and everywhere Jesus was, there were crowds. And so I figure if we're making much of Jesus and his spirit is here, then there should be a crowd. Matter of fact, if there's not a crowd, I should probably stop showing up and doing what I'm doing because it means that somehow we've missed making much of Jesus, okay? So here's the thing. Jesus always had crowds, but then he would, he would try to get away from those crowds if he could, and he would work with his disciples, and he had 72. And then he would try to get away from those 72 at times, and he had 12. And then there were even times when he would sneak away from the 12, and he had three. And in that three, he had a right hand. He had one man who was at his side, and that guy's name was Peter. And, and so Peter was kind of picked out of everybody to be at the right hand of Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but I'd be feeling a little bit proud. And I think Peter did too, and it, it's gonna bite him in just a minute as we're gonna see. So Peter thought he was the man because every time that the crowd kept shrinking, he stayed in the mix. And Peter was the one who got to see the transfiguration. Peter was always at his right hand for everything that he got to do. Matter of fact, Peter was the first person to ever figure Jesus out. I don't know if you know the story, but Jesus said, hey, who do they say I am? And they gave some answers. And Jesus looked and said, who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter was the first person to ever answer. Well, you're the son of God, right? I mean, that's amazing. And Jesus turned to him at that moment and said, because of this, because of your understanding, because of your revelation, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And I can just imagine Peter's just jumping up. Yeah, you know, I'm mean, just having that kind of moment, right? I mean, Jesus just pronounced the greatest thing possible. All right, that's where we're gonna pick up the story. Verse 31, Jesus turns to Simon. Simon, Simon, which is another name for Peter. His name was actually Simon Peter. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, I think Peter missed those words. He missed the point because Jesus didn't say something could happen. I've prayed for you. So something's probably not going to happen. Something was maybe going to happen. No, when Jesus says to you, and when you have got back on your feet, Peter missed that point. So for, for now in the story, let's pretend we missed it too. He says, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Did you forget? I'm the man 
Did you forget I've been at your right hand all the time? Did did you forget I'm the one that knows who you are before everybody else? Did you forget I'm the one that keeps James and John in check over here? Have you heard them sometimes? They're so bickering over here about who's gonna be the greatest and all that. I'm the one that slapped them upside the head for you. I'm your your guy. How how could you be? Seriously, whatever, I'm with you, man. I am with you. You go to prison, I'm going to prison with you. They're gonna kill you. They're They're gonna hang me right beside you. I'm gonna be right there with you. So when everything is going your way, confidence is at a high. We think we can take on the world when failure is nowhere around us. But Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day. You see, it's already dark. The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Before the sun comes up, how many of you'd like to have Jesus tell you, before the sun comes up, you know what happens every day? Roosters crow. They just do it. I used to live in Romania where they actually had roosters everywhere. We don't have roosters around here everywhere. This may be a strange story for us as Americans, but when I was in Romania, every morning you just hear these roosters crowing. Didn't matter where you were because everybody had their, they were ahead of the times. They wanted their own cage-free eggs. And so everybody had their own chickens and their own roosters. And every morning you'd hear this. And it makes a, a passage like this a reality. You can't stop the rooster from crowing, Peter. And when it does, by the time it has, you will have failed me. Even though you're warned, I'm warning you right now. I'm standing in front of you telling you it's going to happen. And then you're going to fail me the first time when you deny me. Then you're going to deny me a second time. And then, seriously, you're not even going to see it coming. And Peter didn't see it coming. And you've got to wonder, Peter, he just told you it was going to happen. Peter, the first time you said, I don't know him. Shouldn't something have clicked right here? Peter, the second time you said, I don't know him. Shouldn't. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever really just screwed up and you've tried to figure out the logic? Figuring out the logic of how you got there is usually never the answer because there was no logic behind Peter. If there was any logic at all, he would have figured it out before the third denial. Let's pick it up in verse 54 and find out what happens. So they come and they seize him and they lead him away. That's Jesus bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. Wait a minute, mister, I'm the man, I'm going to prison with you. Why aren't you up there, you know, in front, holding him and saying, you're not taking him unless you're taking me. What, what? But he's back at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Think about that. They've taken Jesus in, Peter's staying out. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Time number one. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, A little later, think about that. Peter's just milling around. He's out in the yard. It's dark. There's a fire burning. He knows that Jesus is under arrest. He's, he's, you got to be thinking. I just denied, I just denied him. Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to do this twice. No, 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 I'm not going to let this happen again. See, when I told you this is the most epic failure, I think this is going to give you and me some hope because there are things that we've done wrong and we look back and just go, how? And sometimes how is not the right question to try to answer. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not, second time. And after an interval of about an hour, Think about that. 
again. He's knowing what's going on. He's reflecting on everything that's been said around him. He's got an entire hour to realize he has already said, I don't know him twice. After about an hour, still another said, certainly this man was also with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I want you just to stop. Maybe just close your eyes. I want you to imagine that moment. Because every single one of us has had one of those moments. But it's never been this bad. It's never been this bad. Maybe it's the moment where you've had to sit in a principal's office and look them eye to eye. Those are scary moments, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe it was the time where you, you just had to look your parents in the eyes. Come on, teenagers. It's one of the most difficult things in the world to do when the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart. You need to sit down and tell your parents something. But, but you just cannot stand the thought of what it would feel like to look them in the eyes and say what you need to say. Maybe you've had to look at your spouse and say something. And none of those hold a candle to looking across the courtyard and seeing the one you already said, you are the son of God and I will go to death with you. And he just turns and looks at you right when the rooster crows, and you've denied him three times. Nothing holds a candle to a failure like that. He had a warning. He had the first denial. He had time. You could just imagine him sitting out there on a log, just drawing in the sand, looking at the fire. My life is over. I'm with Jesus. He's under arrest. I'm trying to tell these people I'm not with him. Then he says it a second time. Then an hour goes by, he's pacing in the courtyard. He had every chance to not fail. He had every chance to turn back. He had every chance to get this right. And you can just imagine at that third moment, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And the rooster crows and he looks and across the courtyard, Jesus is just looking. I don't know about you, but that's a look I'm glad I've never felt. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. See, here's what we need to acknowledge today. The emotion of failure is real. The stuff that hits right here is overwhelming. You will feel like your world has ended. And at that moment, the enemy will begin to whisper to you, it's over. This is fatal. There's no coming back from this. There's no coming back from this. You've allowed this marriage to fail. You'll be alone forever. You went out on a date with your friend and you did something you said you'd never do. There's no coming back from this. You're ruined. You didn't get into that college because you didn't need it. Matter of fact, you're going to have to do summer school to graduate high school. You're not coming back from this. All your friends are going off. They're, they're, they're going places. You, the enemy wants to tell you that where you are is where you'll stay. And you'll never recover from this. I was just talking about two weeks ago, a new friend of mine came and sat down and was talking to me about what's going on in his life and and he's the victim. 
no matter what, there's nothing that's going on. His, his, his marriage has fallen apart. His spouse has decided not to follow Jesus anymore and, and to choose a different lifestyle, has walked away from him. And, and just seeing him sit and, and go through the emotion, it's a numbing emotion when we are, are facing a failure. We don't even know how to get up and, and face tomorrow. And, and he didn't, ha- it, it was like everything in him is what it took to, to want to even try and live again tomorrow. And by, he's not suicidal at all. I don't mean that. What I mean is to not spend the rest of life like a zombie, just numb, but to actually figure out where to go from here. You see, here's what we need to know today. And we'll put this on the screen for you. Failure can either distort or clarify our identity. It's all going to be about how we respond. You see, just like the scar above my eye, it grips our soul and it won't let go. And it becomes a mark. You see, every time I look in the mirror, I, I see it. Every time I look in the mirror for 46 years, there's a scar right there. I can't stop seeing a scar right there. It'll never go away. It'll always remind me of a failure in my life. And again, that's not a very big failure, but we look in the mirror and and we remember who we are and what we've done. And we remember what we're ashamed of because it's so amazing that shame is as big in a mirror as a scar on your face. And we wonder, you see, the enemy wants to shame you and destroy your identity. God actually wants to use this to clarify your calling, and your purpose. Isn't that the craziest thing in the world? When we fail, God wants to use it to restore and to help us. Think about all the stories in the Bible. I don't have time for all the stories in the Bible of the failure and what God did through them. But we started this series in week one talking about Moses and how Moses was the one that God could use even when he didn't measure up. Do you remember what Moses did? Do you remember his failure? He murdered. He murdered. And on top of that, he was murdering, which was a huge failure because of his other failures. You see, he was an Israelite slave who had been saved as an Egyptian. But the slaves knew since he was raised as an Egyptian, he wasn't one of them. He failed to be one of his own people and he could never get in with the Egyptians. So he failed to be one of them. And because he failed to be an Egyptian, he wanted to show off for his people by murdering somebody. And that didn't work. And so he ran and hid from God and from everybody else for 40 years, but his failure, check this out. Because God said, I'm going to paraphrase what God said, because you failed to be an Egyptian and because you failed to be one of the slaves, you're the one person I can use to set my slaves free from the Egyptians because you're neither one. God used his very failure to show him who he was. And the greatest thing he was going to do. Your identity will either be found or lost, not in avoiding failure, but in how we respond to it. Did y'all hear that? Your identity, teenagers, are y'all listening to me? I know y'all have been like sleep deprived for 48 hours, but I need y'all to, I need y'all to hear this because, you see, here's the, let me just, sorry y'all, catch this. You think your identity is found in not failing right? Which one of your parents ever said, hey, I hope you fell today? And, and so because our parents want us to do well, we want to do well, we try to do well in life, we think that our identity and the secret to success is not in failing. But everybody in the rest of the room can say, welcome to the human race. 
If you think that your identity is going to be found in not failing, you are already in trouble for massive disappointment. Your failure is not going to be found in avoiding, I'm sorry, your identity is not going to be found in avoiding failure. Your identity is going to be found in how you respond to it. Because every single one of us has a moment where we felt like Peter, don't we? Every single one of us has a moment where we felt like Peter. Some of us are there right now. Some of us, it's still coming again because we've already been there. So what I want us to do right now is to figure out how do we respond to our failure? How do we not end up with Peter standing in the yard, looking at the face of Jesus, thinking, this is my end, right? I'm gonna give you three things. The first one is this, separate your failure from your identity. I think this might be one of the biggest things we can ever do. Separate your failure from identity. I need somebody here to hear this because this is God speaking to you today. You made a mistake. You are not a mistake. You made a mistake, but you are not a mistake. You failed. You are not a failure. You need to hear the Holy Spirit tell you that. You have messed up. That's not the end. The enemy wants you to think it's the end. It is not the end because you messed up, but you are not messed up. There's a difference, right? Look, I know we're all serious right now, and I'm going to use a sports analogy, and I hope I don't lose the room because I'm going to talk about Duke, but you guys just got to give me a little minute here. Just, just go with me. If you don't like, just, just forget that there's even Duke I'm talking about. But I'm just telling you, there's not a better illustration of what I need you to get right now than what just happened, okay? Just, just allow me. Will y'all allow me? I'm a Duke fan. Y'all got it. Here's the thing. Just about two weeks ago, Duke was down by 23 points with 10 minutes to go in a game. That was going to be their worst defeat. It's turned out, spoiler alert, they won. They came back and had the greatest comeback in 68 years at Duke. How do you do something like that? To score 25 points, which is what you need if you're 23 down, to score 25 points in 10 minutes is a 100-point game. Like, you're not going to do that, much less score 25 more than the other team who's still scoring in 10 minutes. But they did. And everybody's still talking about it on ESPN, and they're saying, how did this happen? And right after the game, everybody got the microphones. We want to know what happened. Because, see, with 10 minutes to go, Coach K called a timeout. And they came out of the timeout, and they won the game. And the question is, what the heck happened? And so if you're not a big basketball fan, you're probably thinking, you know, oh, they got a new player. No, you don't get a new player with 10 minutes to go. Uh, one of their players suddenly developed a skill he never had. No, no player suddenly developed a skill they didn't have. Oh, they figured out a new game plan. They, they changed their strategy. No, they didn't change their strategy. Then how in the world does a team that is losing so far come back and win? And they said, what did, what did the Coach K say to you in the timeout? This is amazing. Because he didn't say anything about basketball. He just looked at him and said, I don't coach losers. I coach winners. Y'all get that? When they realized that the score plastered above their head was not who they were, their face changed. And they came out of that timeout looking like they had a 23-point lead. And it had nothing to do with skill. It had only to do with recognizing the score says, I haven't been playing very well yet, but it does not say I'm a loser. The question for you today is can you separate 
the score plastered above your head from where you are. Divorce, one. Me, zero. Moral failure, three. Me, zero. Bankruptcy, one. Me, zero. Lost job, four. Me, zero. Demoted, two. Me, zero. Friends walked out on me, seven. Me, zero. The score above your head is a result. It is not your identity. And if we can separate the results from our identity, we can maybe see a future. You see, this all comes down to understanding the difference between conviction and condemnation. Because conviction says, the score just says you didn't play well. We can change that. Condemnation says the score tells you you're a loser. Conviction is the result of the Holy Spirit working in you, saying, hey, come on, we can do this better. We can do life differently. That's conviction. Condemnation is the enemy's tool to keep you in your failure. Here's the second thing. Identify the factors that are leading or have led to your failure. You see, all failure is not created equal, and here's what you have to get. Knowing how you got here will help you figure out the road to get back. Don't catch that. Knowing how you got here will help you figure out the road to get back. You see, some of us, we fail because we simply have good intentions without wisdom. We, we just, we, it was a good idea, we thought. And then we figure out, that's a bad idea. It was, man, I meant well in my heart. That was just a bad strategy. And sometimes it's just that simple. Sometimes we, we just went out to do something we thought was going to work, you, you know, and then, well, it didn't. It's not the end of the world. Sometimes what gets us into trouble, though, is an emotional pressure. You see, we end up finding ourselves stressed and burned out and, and filled with anxiety and overloaded and overextended and overwhelmed. And what we need to know is that's when we're most weak. We're not taking care of ourselves. We're not Sabbathing, spending time with God. We're not reading the Word because we don't have time to read the Word because we've got to get to work early because we've got this big project that's due and the boss has got a lot of pressure on us and we're working 70 hours a week. And so, you know, everybody is expecting that I'm going to get fired if this project doesn't go well. So me and some of the people on my team, we're staying, we're working 70 hours, maybe 80 hours. We're burning the candle into the nighttime and I've got pressure on me because I'm missing all of my kids' games and I told them I'd never miss another game, but I'm missing one anyway. And so my family's mad at me and my, my spouse is mad at me because I'm, I'm missing the games and, and I made promises and we, we, we missed out on our anniversary. I forgot that because I was doing this big project. And, and while all that pressure is on me, one of the, the female co-workers is, is right there in the trenches with me. And Well, when you're weak, you're most susceptible. Gladiator is one of my favorite movies. How many of you know Gladiator? Come on, guys. Yeah. Whoa, there we go. Maximus was an incredible gladiator. Couldn't be beaten. And Commodus knew that. So he goes to him before he goes into the arena and embraces him with a knife right into the side. You see, then he starts bleeding out and he dies. Because in order to take you down, first you need to be weak. And the enemy knows that. Watch out for how you live your life. Watch out for saying, oh, it's just one day. I don't need to talk to God. It's just one day. Oh, it's just one late night with the secretary. 
Oh, it's just one fight with my spouse I didn't resolve. Oh, it's just one time that I'm stressed out. I'll be okay. No, 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 no. You see, if we allow the emotional pressure to build up, it's when we are weakest and it's when we make the worst mistakes. I talk to businessmen who go on trips and I don't know what I was thinking. I know you don't know what you were thinking. You were away from home. You were stressed. You were under pressure and there was opportunity. It's what happens. I talk to soldiers, the same thing. The, the, the story never changes. I was stressed. There was so much anxiety. There was so much pressure. And then there was just, I don't know, but it just happened. Exactly. Weak. Don't let the pressure get you. I'm just, lead yourself well. Take time for God. Take time to breathe. Take time to rest. Willful disobedience. Some of us, we failed. Some of us, we think God has failed us. And so we just say, you know what, God, I've prayed enough. I prayed for my aunt and she still died. And I prayed for my marriage and he still left. And I prayed for my finances and I'm still broke. So I don't care what your word says. I'm going to do what I want. And sometimes we've gotten ourselves into failure because we've just got a hard heart. Can I beg you? Rebellion against God is never the path forward. Teenagers, at least one of you needs to hear this. Rebellion against God is never the path forward. It is not. No matter how frustrated we are, no matter what failure we think we have, to turn back against him is never the answer. And that, you know, some of us, you need to hear this one too. Circumstances beyond your control. There are things that have happened to you you can't blame yourself for. There are things that have happened you couldn't have changed. Sometimes we look around at failure and we say, what can I do to, what could I have done to not end up here? And sometimes the honest answer is, Nothing. It's a broken world filled with broken people. And sometimes you're just going to have to say, okay, God, this is not where I thought my life was going to end up. So where do you want to go from here? This is not what I thought I'd be doing today. This is not what I thought my life would look like today. But you know what? You promise in your word that you cause all things, the good things, the bad things, the everything, you cause all things to work for the good of those who love you. So I'm gonna trust you in this moment. When I've lost all control of what's going on around me, when, when someone has walked out on me, when someone has abandoned me, when someone embezzled all my money, when whatever the story is, when, when there's just literally, I don't know what else I could have done, God. I'm gonna trust you. Which leads to the last one. Embrace the redemption of Jesus. Embrace the redemption of Jesus. Let's go back to Peter at this point in the story. What did he do? I mean, to fail the Son of God after you tell him you know he's the Son of God and you're willing to die with him. What did he do? He went back to fishing. And why did he go back to fishing? Because he used to be a fisherman. It's what he had always done, and it's all he knew. Hear me when I say this. Failure makes us give up on who we're becoming. Failure makes us give up on the dreams we have. Failure makes us go back to who we used to be because it's safe. Failure makes us give up on who we're becoming. Failure makes us give up on the goals we have. Failure makes us go back to being who we used to be because it's safe. Can't tell you the number of times 
have watched new believers. New believers. I said 42 people this year so far have made Jesus their king. Listen to me. It's amazing. Ben and I have even talked about this. Ben, if you remember, he shared his story. He was an atheist less than a year ago, and now he's, man, he loves Jesus with all his heart. But there have been a few times along the way, Ben and I have had conversations because, well, in all honesty, all hell broke loose. And I don't use that word loosely. Hell lost one, and they were coming to get him. And things weren't going the way you want to go. And see, here's what happens when you become a believer and you start following Jesus. You say, man, I tell you what, y'all need to know what Jesus did for me. I'm so excited. Hey, mom, let me tell you. Hey, dad, let me tell you. Hey, best friend, let me tell you. Hey, you guys got to come to church with me next week. Everybody's got to come. Man, I tell you what, I'm going to get up every day. I'm going to read my Bible. And I just love reading my Bible. And I stayed up all night reading my Bible. It was so exciting. And I was praying and God said this to me. And I was journaling this. This is so amazing. And then you fell. You say something you didn't want to say or you missed a day or worse. You did something you used to do before Jesus and you're so ashamed of it. And so what do you do? You go back to your old friends. You go back to your old way of life. You start reasoning, oh, well, that was just a religious thing, man. I just got on that hype. That's not real. I'm not really. And I know so many people in so many situations that just say, I'm just going to go back to who I used to be. I tried going to college, and you know, I made a D in my first class and an F in my second. I, I'm just, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going back, whatever, you know. Somebody who, I, I, I can have a pure relationship, and then they failed at that one. Said, well, that's just like every other relationship I've ever had. I'm just, uh, who cares? I'm just going to go back to whatever, you know. Who cares? You know, I tried that, like, honoring God with my finances, stay on a budget, and who cares? You know, it's just so much easier to just be me. I'm a failure. It's what I am. I need you to hear me. God is not surprised at your failure. Did we miss the part of the story where Jesus told him he would fail before he did? Seriously, every one of you, I need you to hear me. God is not in heaven going, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> and he still loves you. You know what the greatest victory of the enemy is when we fail? It's not that God stops loving you. It's that you stop loving yourself. And an unloved person cannot receive love. And so even though you've got a heavenly father who will give you anything and everything and is pouring out his heart to you and sent his son to die on the cross for you, you can't take it. There's something blocking right here. And it's the shame. And it's the guilt. It's the self-hatred. <laughs> Check this out right here. God doesn't give up on you. Here's what happens with Peter. When they finished breakfast, so they're out fishing, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And this exchange happened three times. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, then take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Because see, here is what we need to understand. 
When you fail, there are only two things you need. You need to know God loves you and you need to know you love him. Because your success, your future, you're getting through this. That's all that you're going to be able to hold on to. You're not going to be able to promise, oh no, Jesus, I won't do that. No, 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 I'm sorry. Failure is inevitable. We're humans. But if we can know that God loves us and we love him. So the question is, who am I when I failed? I actually think there's a positive answer to this one. Who am I when I felt? I think I'm someone who just learned something about themselves and hopefully God. Who am I when I felt? I, I, I think I'm someone who is more desperate for the love and presence of God than I ever was when I was succeeding. Come on, can somebody identify with that? I do hope that in your failures, you've learned something practical that's guided you to maybe stay out of a few ditches along the way. But what I wanna do this morning, what I believe God's heart is to supernaturally touch some of you, to heal some scars. You see, here's the funny thing. I don't notice the scar anymore. I literally go years without thinking about it. I see it in a mirror every day, multiple times. I don't notice it because it's no longer a shameful thing for me. I don't know that it ever was, to be honest, because this is a funny story, not a serious one. But I'd, if somebody says, how did you do that? I don't, oh, well, you know, I was a stupid three-year-old. And I was like, hey, I thought I was Superman. <laughs> I've got other failures. I'm not going to tell you about, to be honest. But people who know me know I've got other failures. I made mistakes when I was in college. I made mistakes before I met my wife. I've done things that I hope you guys never do. But you know what? God forgives. And God loves. And God chased Peter down. And some of you are here today. God is chasing you down. Jesus went and found Peter where he was fishing walked right up to him. Hey, do you love me? He never said, hey, just so you know, you messed up back there. Didn't say a word. Many of you are living trapped in the lie that you cannot come to God today because of where you have messed up. It has been so bad. It has been so ungodly. You are believing a lie that you have to hang your head in shame and you cannot get close to God. And right now, I want you to know that God is chasing you. And he is not asking about your failure. He's not reminding you that you did. The enemy's been doing that since that day. God does not need to join in what the enemy is saying to you. He is saying to you, hey, do you love me? Because I love you. Do you love me? Because I love you. I want to close today by doing something I don't usually do. I want to pray for all of us. If you've got a scar 
from some failure somewhere that you know still it's still visible and you've wished it away but it hasn't gone away and you still respond out of that scar would you raise your hand would you be honest would you say God I want you to touch this failure I want you to erase this scar from my soul keep your hands up I'm going to pray for you everybody right now God I know your word promises that you heal the brokenhearted. You bind up their wounds. God, right now, I pray for every person in this room who's holding up their hands saying, God, would you remove the scar from my soul? And I pray right now that the condemnation of the enemy would be silenced. I pray that their hearts would be filled with the love that you have for them. I pray that the knowledge of Jesus dying on the cross for them would not be just information of your love poured out 2,000 years ago, but right now that you will fill them with your love, that your spirit will touch them, that they will feel the embrace of a loving father. I love you. You messed up, but you are not messed up. You are my creation. I created you before the foundation of the world. You were prepared for good works and you are going to do those good works. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? And get back to doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. Don't listen to that enemy anymore. Go back to being who you were becoming Go back to doing what you were doing, I believe is what God would say to some of you here today. God, I just pray for your healing in this place. While we're praying, I just wanna talk to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. Maybe it's because you've just thought you don't need to. Maybe it's because you just, you're not real worried about what your eternity looks like. Or maybe it's because you think you've messed up so bad that Jesus couldn't even redeem you. And I want you to know you haven't messed up too bad. And there's never a better time to think about eternity. You see, one of the things we believe that's wrong sometimes is, well, if Jesus died for humanity and I'm a human, I'm going to heaven. But the Bible tells us that every human has to make an exchange at some point. That we have to reach out and take free gift of salvation and if you've never done that I want to help you do that right now I want you to imagine Jesus just as he looked at Peter this is different Jesus is hanging on the cross he's looking at you and he's smiling and he says to your face this is for you and I want you to imagine saying then I accept would you pray this with me Lord Jesus I thank you. I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning 
in your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.